Welcome to Six Feet from Normal, a podcast dedicated to covering untold stories of the novel coronavirus pandemic, brought to you by reporters at Medill News Service. I'm Sarah Wilson. I'm Alec Bose. And I'm Joe Snell. On today's episode, we look at isolation and loneliness. This quarantine has magnified how loneliness affects our health and psychology, but also how we find community in new and interesting ways. First, we'll hear from Dr. Terry Freiberg, who walks us through how social isolation works against our evolved human nature. Next, we'll speak with Sarah Alexander, a freelance writer and blogger from Liverpool living with fibromyalgia and other chronic pain conditions. We'll talk about how her disability coincides with the loneliness she experiences and how it's uniquely prepared her for the isolation that's accompanied this pandemic. And finally, a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. shows us how neighbors continue to care for one another in the midst of this global crisis. We're so glad to have you here. Stick around as we take you through this week's stories. I live alone in a 600 square foot studio apartment, and I'm starting to get a bit antsy from all this solitude, even as an introvert. The Zoom and FaceTime calls don't compare to being in the same physical space with my friends, and I'm experiencing loneliness like I never have before. Dr. J.W. Terry Freiberg holds a PhD from UCLA and a JD from Harvard, and has written three books about the phenomenon of loneliness, the most recent of which comes out today. We caught up with him to learn more about how feeling lonely affects our mental, spiritual, and physical health. My name is J. Walter Freiberg. Uh, Everybody calls me Terry. You're welcome to as well. Can you explain um, your research a bit and kind of your experience studying loneliness? What makes a person feel lonely and how is it a phenomenon? Good question. It's not an emotion. It's a sensation. It's like hunger or thirst. Uh, We actually feel loneliness. We feel lonely. We don't think about being lonely except as a secondary effect. But we feel it the way we feel hunger, the way we feel thirst, the way we feel fear. And when I began to read about the uh, cetaceans, that's the the whales, the porpoises, um, um, they, uh, like us, like elephants, like deer, we're herd animals. And it turns out that all of these animals, just as they are motivated by hunger to go seek food or thirst to go seek water, they're, they're motivated as well by finding themselves at a distance from their herd because that's when they're safe. That's the way humans are, just like the, some of these uh, small herd mammals. And it turned out that uh, about uh, six or eight years ago, some magnificent research was done that located the part of the brain that's involved It's called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. It's in your forebrain, your frontal lobe. And that part of our brain, it's in a deer, it's in a whale, it's in an elephant, it's in these kind of herd mammals as well, gives you an enormous signal. Just like you get a signal for hunger or thirst or fear, you get a signal from your body about feeling at a distance because humans must have been in earlier times like these other animals. To be safe, you needed to be around your your pod, your herd, your group of family-based people who kept you safe. We're not very fast runners. We don't see, smell, or hear very well compared to other mammals. What do we do well? Well, we coordinate, we cooperate, we have language. So 
So our strength is in being with one another. You mentioned that in your uh, blog post that nearly four in 10, um, you know, Americans are uh, struggling with uh, loneliness or self-identify as loneliness or what impacts on emotional and mental health uh, does loneliness play? And in that same vein, how does that transition to one's physical health? There's a great body of work produced by uh, John Cacioppo. He passed away two years ago, unfortunately, but he and his colleagues at the University of Chicago studied for 20 years the, the lethality of loneliness. Loneliness actually kills you. It, it lessens your health. It, it is uh, to a, such a significant extent that it is a higher st- uh, correlation with all sorts of major health issues than um, two-pack-a-day smoking or morbid obesity. It is a really serious um, indicator of, of, of health of exposure to health problems. Um, so we know a lot about the lethality of loneliness. It actually shortens your life and worsens your physical health. On a psychological level, arguably, it's just as serious. We are who we are. We are herd animals. We hurt when we're separated from one another. There are among us humans some people who who really want to be alone. They're maybe they're monks. They, they meditate. They're religious people. They, I understand, we all understand that there are some people who elect to be alone and are successful with it. That's fine. We're not talking about that. We're talking about us plain old folks who need each other's company just as much as we need food and water and exercise. Let's, let's, let's admit up front that we're all lonely from time to time. It's normal enough. <clears throat> we all suffer a lot of loss. It's the nature of life. When we're in our 20s or 30s, we lose our grandparents. When we're in our 50s, 60s, we lose our parents. And we live in a very mobile society with both a lot of geographical mobility and a lot of social mobility. So we don't grow up anymore around the people that we were born near. We now live in a circumstance where 38% of all adult households in the United States are single person households. So that's a highly psychologically compromising state of affairs. So what about you bring on social distancing to struggle against the COVID virus? What does that do? Well, we've identified two types of lonely people. One is isolated people who don't choose to be isolated. And the other is people who are subjectively lonely. They, they do live around other people. Maybe they're married, they have kids, they have colleagues, neighbors, uh, teammates, and so on. But they get nothing out of their relationships and very little water th- flowing through those pipes. So they feel as lonely as the objectively lonely people. And both groups of these people are, of course, having their issues uh, augmented and and multiplied by the social distancing we're all doing trying to stay safe in this pandemic. And so can you speak a bit more, um, you know, about kind of the specific populations that are prone to chronic illness, even before this pandemic? We've heard a lot about, you know, the elderly population. Are there any other specific populations that you know, are more prone to this phenomenon? The um, quintile of our population that is most subject 
to chronic loneliness is the um, Gen X and the young people. Yes, loneliness is a huge issue amongst the elderly. That's been known and is obvious and really no great surprise. But it was a surprise to find out that the young who are connecting so constantly electronically with one another are at the same time expressing the greatest degree of loneliness of any of the five quintiles measured in the study. Thanks so much. Um, I guess just kind of one of our final questions is with social distancing and social isolation, are there coping strategies or kind of ways to stave off that loneliness? What, what should we do? Absolutely, and enormously important. And, and, and it's just, as I say, if you look at loneliness as a sensation, like hunger, thirst, or fear, you know exactly what to do for hunger and thirst and fear. You lock your door, you, you watch your security circumstances, you think about whether you have enough to eat and drink in your house, especially in this era when it's hard to go to uh, the grocery stores and all. Um, so in that exact category, you want to put your connectivity with others. And I would assume that we will find when the research comes out of this that that phone calls and FaceTime calls and Zoom conferences and so on will have gone up enormously as people wisely use what they have available to maintain their contact with others. And by the way, there's going to be some very interesting um, research to be done on touching Touching is an extremely important part of, of most of the mammal groups that I mentioned earlier. All of them touch each other. The need to link with others is so important that it's on the level of food and water, if you like, and safety. And hence, it's really important to think consciously, just as probably all of us are thinking, I got to get out today and take a walk. I can't sit around all day in my apartment. Um, I've got to find some uh, something decent to eat. I've been, you know, it's been all carbs for the last three days. I got to somehow find a, a chicken or something to take home with me. So you need to think about your relationships. And this is a fabulous time to call people up. Have you called your first cousins? I bet with each of us, if you think through your list of first cousins, there are some you haven't spoken to in years. It's the ideal time to give them a call. Their home, just like your home. And keeping these links alive is as important as keeping food on your shelves and fresh water in your faucet system. Thank you so much, Doctor. That was very illuminating. Thanks so much for speaking with us. And I mean, I'm a young person who lives alone, so this was useful in many regards for me as well. Thanks very much. I keep saying to everybody that I've like been practicing my whole life for this pandemic because I'm so used to like being housebound and having like my condition flare up where I can't go out for like six weeks at a time or whatever. But the huge difference is there was always people able to come over, whereas you can't do that with this. That's really difficult. Sarah Alexander lives with her boyfriend in a town outside of Liverpool. A writer, blogger, and activist, Sarah also lives with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a connective tissue disorder that affects her mobility and gives her chronic pain. Alec and I caught up with Sarah to hear about how her condition has been complicated by the coronavirus outbreak and recent stay-at-home orders. Okay, so my name is Sarah Alexander. 
and I am a freelance writer and blogger. I'm originally from Liverpool in the UK, um, but I live in Northamptonshire um, in a little tiny village called Erchester and it's super different to where I'm used to because I'm from a big city, um, but it's lovely. It's dead nice in the countryside. One of the things we're talking about is sort of how your disability impacts loneliness. And we came across this by uh, going into a piece in Refinery29 that was published about a year ago. Yeah. So with that context laid out, can you describe your disability for the audience and what that means going through your day to day? Okay, so my primary condition is uh, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And that is a connective tissue disorder. And seeing as everything's built up of connective tissue, kind of everything is um, impacted. So I have dislocations, I tear ligaments, uh, pull muscles. I can literally bend down and pull a muscle. Um, It's like that simple. Um, I've sneezed and dislocated my shoulder. Um, It's chronic pain on every single day, 24-7. And then I have a whole other lot of chronic pain conditions. It seems like once you get one, I started collecting them, <laughs> which isn't great. But like, I suppose because I already live with chronic pain, having a few more issues isn't that bad, I guess. Um, but yeah, every, like everything's affected from my joints to um, my heart to uh, I have um digestive issues um just yeah just just loads of things really hi sarah joe here over four years ago you moved away from your friends and family and mentioned that you had a hard time adjusting to your new environment and even expressing your emotion of loneliness can you tell us a bit more about your experience dealing with loneliness after the move and if your disability played a part in that growing emotion so um my boyfriend is originally from Northamptonshire and because my life is basically online, we met online. Uh, my boyfriend's autistic as well, so it was much easier for me to change my lifestyle and leave m- my friends and family and my routine. I did it in the name of love <laughs> and I don't regret it, but it was so hard. My nephew, he's not mentioned in the article, but he is like my absolute world. He's seven. So he was the worst thing for me to leave. I was heartbroken, like crying my eyes out. But yeah, I think because of my boyfriend's autism, it it kind of made the decision for me. It was just like a, once I moved here, I was like, realised I actually don't know anybody other than him and his family. I have recently, like last year, tried to like branch out and make some new friends here. And I've got like a few now and that's made such a difference. Um, But when I first moved, there was nobody. And because I work from home and I'm disabled, I didn't have the opportunities to make like work friends or I couldn't really go anywhere because I didn't have anyone to go with. Sarah, did your feeling of loneliness set in right away or was it something that happened gradually? It gradually happened, like, because I was so um, focused on the move and, like, being with my boyfriend full-time because we'd had, like, this long-distance relationship for, I think it was, like, two years. As I started, like, making my routine here, then it became, like, oh, who am I going to 
do things with. Just little things like just even like having a cuddle from my nephew or watching like cartoons with him type of thing. It was that just like little tiny things that I was like really missing. I, I still have never told my family or my friends how lonely I was. My boyfriend knew and my boyfriend was really concerned. He could see me going into like a, a depression with it. I don't, I just don't want to be a, a worry to anybody. And like, because I've been sick <laughs> my whole life and my mum's always been like my number one carer, I always think if I can do something else that she doesn't have to worry about, then that's easier for her instead of me. Um, and I guess I needed at that time to put my feelings first and actually express them, but I didn't and she doesn't know and maybe I should talk to her about it now that I'm in a better place. But yeah, I just I just don't like making anybody else up, upset even though I'm upset. <laughs> Does that make sense? I can relate, I understand that. Um, but I was curious, you know, that loneliness can be paralyzing in some ways what could have been more impactful um that disability or that loneliness i think it was the loneliness because i think because i've always lived with my disability and known how to to deal with that and i'd never really been as lonely as i was so i didn't know what to do and i knew that the the only option was to to go out and try and meet people and make new friends here but I physically couldn't because of my disability and I physically couldn't because I was in such a bad way mentally. Sarah how has your boyfriend Ian helped you through your feelings of loneliness? He just reads me like a book he reads me better than I like I I feel like I can get up one day and I don't even know how I'm feeling and he, he does before I do. <laughs> we started doing a thing where we pick one day a week and we go out that day. So no matter how I'm feeling mentally, we try and like push through. Uh, if if it's physical and I'm flaring and I physically can't get out of bed, that's a completely different <laughs> thing. But we've tried to do this one day a week definitely going out even if it's just for coffee even if we just go and take the dogs for a walk around the lake and he's kind of pushed that into like our routine and it really helped me because I am such a chatty person like so if somebody smiles at me in the street I will try and make a conversation with them. I think a lot of people are feeling a lot lonelier now as they've been isolated in their homes for a lot longer. Do you feel like in any way that your experience last year prepared you at all for sort of like isolated phase or do you feel like it's equipped you in any way? I keep saying to everybody that I've like been practicing my whole life for this pandemic because I'm so used to like being housebound and having like my condition flare up where I can't go out for like six weeks at a time or whatever but the huge difference is there was always people able to come over. My best friend would always like come and sit in in bed with me and he'd spend like the whole day with me. We'd watch films or we'd watch like trash TV or whatever. Whereas you can't do that with this. We literally can't see anybody. So there's me and my boyfriend and the dogs and that's all I've seen for like six weeks right now. Whereas when I'm just flaring, my friends could still come round. When I was like, living back up home, my mum could come over that's just not the reality now so it's the same but different in a way I don't feel like I'm as lonely as I was when I first moved here but 
I also feel a lot more isolated. Sarah, you mentioned the power of simply checking in with people as making a huge difference in their lives, which I just thought was brilliant. Can you talk about how checking in with each other helps combat loneliness? And also if there are other things you can do that help overcome the feelings. At the moment, people are, are putting so much pressure on of checking on your friends, checking on da 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 before the pandemic, I think it was really important to like make sure you're checking in on people and especially your disabled friends because we also don't like reaching out because it sometimes feels like making you feel bad for not checking in on us and I don't want that to be to be the case. Um, so I think like like some of my friends will just be like, you know, haven't spoke to you in a while, what are you up to? And for me, if I'm lying in bed and I've been in bed for six days in agony, like crying in pain, and nobody's asked me how I am. It makes such a big difference. You're like, somebody out there is thinking of me. They've actually just sat down and thought, you know what, I'm going to just see if she's all right. And that makes such a huge difference to like my mental health. It doesn't make a difference to my pain. I wish it cured it, but it doesn't. <laughs> but it makes me like, it, it just brings like a little smile to your face. And that's sometimes all you need in the day. Just like one smile and you're like, you know, today's been all right. During the pandemic, we're all going through something similar. Don't put too much pressure on checking in with people or, and, um, or like, oh, why hasn't such and such checked in with me type of thing? Because I know, I know some people do that. They kind of like, oh, I haven't heard from such and such in a while. You're like, but you haven't checked in with them either. And so I think if you are thinking of somebody, do it, you know, reach out. If you can just do something to, think about others um I think that's really helpful the other thing that we've been doing is I've started I've just got back into bacon so we've been leaving little parcels um on our neighbor's doorsteps of brownies but I've been like putting little ribbons and a note on them and my boyfriend's like do you not think it's a bit over the top and I'm like no because it'll make somebody else smile and in in at this time of this shitty time like it's it's nice for somebody to open their door and there's something be there and I just like stand and keep my distance and I'm like <laughs> you know waving and pointing at what I've left and then people are buzzing and it's just a little random act of kindness that can make somebody's day and maybe you've never spoken to your neighbours before and that could start a relationship as well then. Well, that's as good a place to leave off as any. This was a oh, blast. Thank you. thank you so much for joining Thanks us, for Sarah. Thanks for having me. I loved it. We Are Family is a D.C.-based nonprofit founded in 2004 to serve the senior population by providing essential services, grocery deliveries, and community outreach. Volunteers connect with over 800 seniors every month, and the pandemic has not slowed them down. Co-director Tulene Osdegger spoke with us about what it's been like to coordinate the group's work in a drastically changed world, and how they're continuing to give seniors hope and appreciation. Hi Tulin, Joe here. You've completed extensive work with low-income mm -hmm. individuals from your time as an attorney to your work with the Civil Rights Project yes. to now working at We Are Family. Can you tell us what motivated you to do the work you do and what led you to sure. We Are Family? I actually started out at Northwestern as um, a poli-sci major, but then took some psychology classes and really enjoyed them and also had an interest in social policy. So I was really glad that Northwestern had a program that could sort of 
marry a lot of different topics into a major. So that was really a formative part of, of my path. It really inspired me to want to be part of work that would enable me to support people who are more vulnerable, who are low income, um, who've maybe been disenfranchised in some way. So I did go on to law school and I worked at a firm for a few years after that. And I found that my pro bono work, working with women who um, were experiencing homelessness was something that really moved me. And I felt like that was something that I wanted to, to pursue in a more full-time way. I transitioned from working at the firm to uh, directing the Civil Rights Project at the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty. I started volunteering at another uh, local DC organization that served uh, low-income older adults while, while I was working at the firm. And that's where I met um, Mark, the other co-director at We Are Family, who is also my husband. <laughs> so can you tell us just a bit about the mission of We Are Family? You kind of talked about how it started, but how has it grown and how do you specifically serve the senior population of D.C.? It started around uh, a crisis uh, that was happening in the North Capitol neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Uh, there were a couple senior services organizations that had closed down. And uh, so there was a gap in senior services in this neighborhood. There was also a lot of crime that the people that we knew who were living there were um, living next to. And as a result, it was just really hard for those folks to be able to um, get, get the services that they need. We Are Family started with very simple, uh, just grocery deliveries to 50 people over time, uh, you know, now more than 15 years later, we serve um, more neighborhoods. We serve the North Capitol, Shaw, Columbia Heights, Petworth, Adams Morgan, neighborhoods of DC. And we just counted today and we're serving 839 people every month. So it's grown tremendously. I think uh, for a lot of us who are able-bodied and maybe younger, we, we kind of take for granted like the difficulties that a lot of our seniors face in being able to go out and get things for themselves. So um, we do grocery deliveries, we do visits, we do transportation, and we do sometimes a whole lot more. Tulin, I imagine your work has shifted quite a bit since the pandemic was announced. How have you adopted to some of the changes yeah. And can you tell us about some of the significant challenges and also if there are bright spots? The food supply chains have been somewhat disrupted. Um, and so initially, when we were preparing for our March and April deliveries, we had concerns that we were not going to be able to get the food that we normally get from the food bank in order to make our bags that we then deliver to our seniors. So. Um, you know, initially it, there was a problem with being able to get the kind of food that we normally get, the amount of food that we normally get, um, and even to be able to get it in a process that we would normally do. So, um, you know, we would have to make, initially had to make, you know, several different orders in order to get all the food rather than one order. Um, and I, I think, you know, people are experiencing this probably on a smaller scale and just in your individual household. It's really, it's sometimes really hard to get certain food items. So we were experiencing this on a, 
grander scale because, you know, the places like the food bank were also being impacted by, um, you know, the grocery stores, whether or not they had access food to donate to the food bank and so forth. So um, it seems like things are evening out a little bit on that end, but it's still it's still, still a challenge. challenge. Um, um, the, the other, other challenge, challenge is, is that, that there's, there's just an incredible need. And so we, one, you know, serve these over 800 people a month. Um, but we also have been getting just phone call after phone call of people from all around the city, people outside of our service areas, even people who may not be seniors. Um, who are really in dire need of food. One thing that is really, really wonderful is that we have seen an outpouring of volunteer interest. And I have been completely amazed and inspired by all the people who've stepped forward who've wanted to help out. Thank you for that answer. Just to pivot a little bit, um, so this episode on the podcast, we're kind of exploring the concept of loneliness. Um, and so, of course, We Are Family does a lot of outreach and a lot of visits to kind of keep seniors connected to a community. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to how loneliness affects the senior population and kind of what you've witnessed and experienced with that? A lot of our seniors experience isolation and loneliness as a matter of course. And, you know, as I mentioned, some are, are um, they're homebound, they might be bedridden. Some are just, you know, they just have difficulty with mobility and it's hard to get out of the house. So um, so already people do have some challenges with that. Uh, but now that the uh, crisis has hit, it is becoming, you know, increasingly more difficult and, and actually, you know, just potentially dangerous for the people that we serve to go out. So we are trying to encourage people to stay home, but it is hard because they, they may be living by themselves. Uh, they may or may not have family nearby um, they, who either can check in with them by phone or in person. And even if they do have family who are um, nearby, it may not be great or advisable for them to have in-person visits. And so one of the things that we're doing, um, you know, I, I don't know if I touched on this, but we have revised some of our operations. So we are trying to, to respond, respond to the, the crisis, crisis in a way that, that meets, meets our, our seniors', seniors needs. needs. We're, We've increased the amount of food that's going out in the monthly deliveries, and we've also set up a phone network where we have each of our seniors connected to a volunteer who calls them once a week, checks in on them, and says, you know, is there anything that you could use, anything you could need? And then we have a bunch of people who are doing shopping for the seniors in between the, the monthly deliveries. So if they have groceries or prescriptions that they need, um, our shoppers are going out and doing that. Um, so we're trying our very best to make sure that our seniors have a human connection. One of our seniors, um, one of our volunteers called one of our seniors and uh, for the first time and sh the senior said that she hadn't spoken for, to anyone for a week. And so these are, you know, really um, sad situations that we're trying to make a difference and we know that our, our wonderful volunteers are really making a big difference in impacting people's lives. Thanks for joining us this week on Six Feet from Normal. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check back next week as we continue to explore how this pandemic is reshaping our world. In the meantime, check out our website at covidanalyzer.nationalsecurityzone.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Medill on the Hill. I'm Alec Bose. I'm Joe Snell. And I'm Sarah Wilson. Take care and stay safe, everyone.